So I think that the economics are the best ever for the hotel industry just now. And investors should really keep in mind that the hotel industry is entering a golden phase. And maybe, you know, you should be overweight in this sector. Hey guys, welcome to the 29th episode of the Indian Market Story. As you know, we're always here to talk to you about how India is going to get to $5,000 in per capita GDP by 2030. And of course, one of the big things Indians are spending money on nowadays is holidays and experiences. And one of the main beneficiaries of this expenditure is going to be hotels. So we're here once again with our returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta, to talk about the hotel sector. Let's get to the million dollar question immediately, right? How have hotels done post pandemic? Because everybody knows that everything was shut down in the pandemic and travel in hotels has taken a long time to open up. Where are they now? Varun, thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. It's a no brainer. <laughs> if you are going and spending on holidays, you are seeing that you are spending 30, 40, 50% more than pre pandemic on uh, air travel and on the hotel stay, not just in India, but globally. So I think that the hotel industry in India is entering a golden phase. After 10, 15 years of underinvestment, overcapacity, underutilization of assets, we have reached a stage where there is a surge in travel. And that's really having two important effects. One is the utilization levels have gone up for the hotel industry and the average rent that they have been able to recover from their customers, that also has shot up. So this is a great period for the hotel industry person. I want to try and provide some context for our viewers as to what's been going on with the hotel industry. Uh, just to highlight your point about how the last 10-15 years have been so bad for them. Uh, perhaps longer even, because if I look at the list of companies I have, they've been immense wealth destroyers from a, from a price performance yes. perspective. So Indian hotels, Taj, which is our crown jewel, um, over 29 years has returned a compounded yield of 7.5% for investors. Mahindra Holidays, which is another darling of the space, over 14 years has returned 6.7%. Lemon Tree, a relatively new entrant. Yeah. Over six years, they've only returned 10.1%. East India Hotels, which has been around for 34 years, has only barely beaten the index at 12.9%. And Chalet Hotels, which is again a relatively new listing, has over the last five years uh, yielded 17% for investors. So they've been giant wealth destroyers. I think these last 10, 15 years have been particularly bad. But what, what's different now? Why is this a golden period for hotels? See, I think hotel industry, like many other industries, is cyclical in nature. And if you compare Indian cities, the number of hotel rooms to any uh, country in the world, we are among the lowest, right? So you consider Dubai, London, Singapore, the number of hotel rooms they have and number of hotel rooms that are there in Delhi, Mumbai, Calcutta, Bangalore, Hyderabad is much, much lower. Uh, so we are in a way under invested in terms of capacity per se. And also I think to an extent, 
ट्रैवल हैड बीन प्रिटी मच सॉफ्ट ओवर द पास्ट सेवरल इयर्स ऑल्सो आफ्टर द पैंडमिक ऑफकोर्स इन द पैंडमिक इट विच वेंट डाउन टू जीरो बट नाउ आई थिंक विद द वे कंजम्पशन पैटर्न आर चेंजिंग especially your generation mm-hmm. which believes more in experiences than actual assets mm-hmm. they're spending more and more on travel and we've seen the last 4 5 years salaries have gone up mm-hmm. and that's led to more and more holidays mm-hmm. uh, by the new generation the young people they want to travel more mm-hmm. and that's led to a surge in demand for good quality hotel rooms and indians by and large don't mind paying a premium for a premium property yeah Yeah. One of the days of low-cost holidays. <laughs> yeah. So I want to actually talk to you about this point that you made about you know Indian cities having the lowest ratio of hotel rooms per per capita because one thing that's particularly different about India and Indian travel patterns in comparison to anywhere if we look at the West is that Indians are very very comfortable staying at a friend's or staying at some relatives or staying at you know a friend of a friend's place as well you know just. Roll on a mattress, spare room, something like that. So, I my sense would be that the structural demand for for hotel rooms in India would be lower than anywhere else in the world because of this phenomena. You know, right, Varun? But you know, how many people would have a friend in Udaipur or Jaipur or Agra or some of the tourist destinations? And that's where the Indians are flocking to, per se. also keep in mind that india shining and the kind of interest which india generated globally is pulling a lot of foreign visitors as well into india tourism has been one of the most uh, you know sectors where india indian government has given a lot of importance mm-hmm. atithi devo bhava yeah right so that's attracting a lot of uh, foreign tourists as well especially post pandemic and local travel also has picked up also economy is picking up mm-hmm. and that's causing a lot of business travel as well so i mean of course the effect of zoom meetings and online meetings is there but that really doesn't take away the fact that there are so many seminars and so many events and exhibitions happening which is also attracting a lot of visitors and one last thing the marriage market you know yeah. the big fat indian wedding is getting fatter and fatter yeah and destination weddings are the ultimate right so a lot of the big hotels are great venues for destination weddings and that really gives them very high billings well, that's absolutely right and that's not something i accounted for uh the the impact of the marriage market on their bottom line must be immense so let's um, let's talk about you know what makes a good hotel business versus a not good hotel business because you know i'll run down the list of some of these companies it seems like there's some that do very well and there's some that don't do particularly well so how do you break down a hotel business the success of a hotel depends on many factors of course there's location second is the cost of setting up the hotel how much you spend per room the third is managing the um, human manpower it's very manpower intensive and getting the right kind of uh, staff managers right down to the waiters is a very challenging job for the industry per se and lastly there's a lot of government regulation as well right from construction of the hotel to operating it so it's a complex business not very easy to do and you really need to have a very long term focus to be in the hotel business mm-hmm. because it takes a very long time for these hotels to start to return uh, start giving returns on the investment which you have made 
and then there is the constant cost of refurbishing, repairs, mm-hmm. and maintenance. So from that point of view, a lot of investors had shied away from hotels. Even hotel companies themselves are not expanding until mm-hmm. just now. So it's a complicated business, but now I think it is going to come of age. Okay. So another another point I wanted to highlight in. The, the truth is, we you know, with every podcast, we do the figures, but with hotels in particular, the figures are all skewed. So I think particularly for our viewers, please take these figures with a pinch of salt because the the, the two, three years of the pandemic, FY21, FY22, uh, they look very, very different in comparison to the rest of the years. But one thing I wanted to talk about, because, you know, we talk about finding the right location, the cost of setting up the room. Um it seems to me that these are not particularly capital efficient businesses. That's right. <clears throat> and I've always felt that to set up a hotel, uh, you really need to have passion and need to have that kind of a mindset to do the hotel business. It doesn't really make financial sense until maybe just now because these businesses never gave great return on investment. But one of the positive upsides is that it's a property business. So the value of the property keeps to going up and up. So that's what attracts a lot of in, a lot of hoteliers that, you know, I buy a plot, I set up a property, and even if it breaks even, I don't make much return on the investment, but I'm getting huge upsides on the land and the building which I have constructed. And that is not getting captured very often in the price to earnings multiple or the valuation of the, of the share. Mm-hmm. Like Indian hotels, when you come to it, can you add up the total replacement cost or the you know sale value of the properties to be a multiple of the market capitalization? And this yeah. is true for the all the hotel companies. Right. And I think maybe let's just try and highlight that point for our viewers because uh, you know we always try and use PE as a valuation yardstick. And for these guys, it's it's really very much out of whack. But I guess it's explained by the property value that's locked in the business. So Indian hotels. Uh, trades at 52, Mahindra Holidays trades at 123, Lemon Tree trades at 75, uh, East India Hotels trades at 32, and Chalet Hotels trades at 52. So very expensive businesses, but a lot of ba- value on the balance sheet, I, I imagine. That's it, Varun, and you're looking at historical ratios, but you see the quarterly numbers of all these companies. They've been exceptional last two, three quarters or so, and going forward also, they'll be quite phenomenal. So if you do this podcast 12 months on the line, these P ratios may be 30-40% lower also. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. And it's a cyclical business, as I said, and we are entering into an up cycle at this mm-hmm. point of time. At the, same, at the same time, the market capitalization of these companies is very low as compared to the potential which is there. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are companies which have got now the assets on the on the floor, you know, mm-hmm. though it's only a question of increasing their productivity, mm-hmm. and that's really going to, uh, you know, increase the profits for the companies because these are great operating leverage companies as well. Right. Yeah. That's that's. So, do you want to explain the concept of operating leverage and why operating leverage will be really transformational for these companies for our viewers? So, let's just take Indian hotels per se. They've got whatever X number of rooms in a particular hotel. They've already spent the money on setting up the hotel. The staff, it's been fully staffed. And uh, so in one year, they do 100 crores revenues from there. And their cost of maintaining the hotel is 90 crores. So they make mm. 10 crores profit. For some reason, there's a surge of uh, visitors and they raise the average rent per room. 
mm-hmm. and they earn 120 crores mm-hmm. from 100 crores but the cost won't go up from 90 crores proportionately it'll go to maybe 100 crores or so so their profit will double although the revenues right. go up by 20% right that's operating leverage and that's going to be the key underlying factor in improving the performance of all these hotel companies that's very interesting so just to try and simplify it one level further um is it fair to think of it as last year you were selling 60 rooms out of 100 and breaking even this year you're selling 90 rooms out of 100 which is or 80 rooms out of 100 which is a 33% increase in um in your total top line but now your bottom line that all the remaining 20 rooms that the new 20 rooms that you sold that's pure profit all the revenues flow to the bottom line right okay i i think i understand that and i hope our viewers do as well so let's talk about stock selection i'll list out the names in the space to you and uh, why don't you decide which order we'd like to evaluate them in so you've got indian hotels with astaj you've got mahindra holidays lemon tree east india hotels and shale hotels how do we want to analyze them so indian hotels is the absolute bluest of blue chip hotel company and uh, it's clearly a brand we can uh, see ourselves associate with it's been around for decades and what is the most impressive part about indian hotels is that under the new managing director puneet chatwal they have really scaled up their operations they have focused very heavily on capital efficiency and they have focused very heavily on branding and they have created many new brands also within the company per se the locations are exceptional as you know and uh, because of the tata backing they have got the money the balance sheet to invest in their properties as well and now the company most amazing part is focusing on managing properties rather than owning them so they get a cut of the revenues of the property they are managing but they don't have to invest in the land and the building mm-hmm. and the renovation costs so that is going to really improve their return on capital employed because they will get the revenues but they won't have to spend mm-hmm. on the capital cost of setting up a hotel mm-hmm. also they have got key marquee hotels in the gateway city like new york london singapore mm-hmm. hong kong and uh, that also brings in a lot of tourists for them at the same time uh, they are following a very aggressive uh, strategy and most importantly they are there in every segment means super luxury luxury business low cost you know across the chain where are they in the low cost segment so they have got certain brands uh, you know when they in the uh, low cost as well uh, like the president hotel which is there and there are other uh, sub brands which they have kept Uh, which is that the business travel is is where they are focusing on mm-hmm. so i have two questions with indian hotels in particular um because they operate at such a premium segment are they are do they stand to benefit substantially from the premiumization trend that's happening uh, or is that played out that's one the flip side is because they're such a such a premium brand and such a uh, such an expensive hotel are they more vulnerable to the cyclicality of the hotel business you're right varun um, it's a very good point that whether premiumization trend is played out or not and i don't think so uh, i mean i've been traveling to indian hotels for the past several decades or so and the discounting which is there just now is amongst the lowest 
more often than not visitors have to pay the pay the rack rate so they are really you know getting the maximum yield or the properties which they have put in place they are using those profits to refurbish and keep the keep the you know properties really fresh again and that's attracting even more tourists and visitors so there's a nice virtuous cycle for them and that's playing out really well at the same time the one important highlight is that as i mentioned earlier in the show is that we are under invested in the hotel industry and a large player like indian hotel is coming in and it is trying to build hotels where there were none mm-hmm. because they have the balance sheet they have the talent they have the know how they have the brand they have the brand so they are really playing on all these trends just now okay so therefore i think the future of indian hotels is very bright and you will see that in whatever the market capitalization is is going to gradually keep on moving up over the next 4 or 5 years or so and varun i wouldn't worry too much about the cyclicality in my opinion last 10 years up to the pandemic the hotel industry has been under invested we've hardly added rooms because of the poor economics and now to play catch up is very difficult because these are not projects you can set up in 1 to 2 years a hotel takes 3 to 5 years to construct mm-hmm. and even longer <clears throat> to get it profitable and attract the mm-hmm. tourists so it's a long gestation business mm-hmm. so i think that the economics are the best ever for the hotel industry just now and investors should really keep in mind that the hotel industry is entering a golden phase and maybe you know you should be overweight in this sector because the numbers will certainly surprise you on the upside and don't get uh, i would say stunned by the price earnings multiple which you have just spoken about it's just a matter of time so i know you say to ignore the pe and okay indian hotels is 52 it's a premium brand whatever fine great properties will ignore the pe let's talk about mahindra holidays and i just want to i want to put a really really interesting number up front uh mahindra holidays has a pe of 123 how business model of mahindra holidays is very different it's a vacation ownership company so they sell vacation ownership for 25 years which means that you buy into one of their products and for 25 years you can use any of their properties without paying any rent for the rooms but you have to pay for the fnb and when you pay that money up front only 125th of that is getting accounted in the revenues of the company the rest is all carried forward in the balance sheets so their cash flow is very strong but what they can record in their books of accounts is much lower which is why their profitability optically appears to be low but in fact it's a superb business model because their customers themselves are funding the construction of the hotels fair point but let's look at the number of members right because that's that's their customers Over the last five years, that's only grown at a compounded rate of three point five percent. That's not a lot. Yes, I'm also disappointed with that. And every time, if you go to the analyst calls of these com- of this company, that's the first question which a lot of uh, analysts are asking the company. And the management is trying their best to grow the number, but it's a concept, don't you think? So I mean, trying to sell the vacation ownership. Uh, to a individual or a family to explain to them that you pay anywhere from three to five lakhs upfront, and then you can go for twenty five years on any of the properties. It's a difficult proposition, 
and it requires a certain element of educating the customer. That is why the growth has been slow so far. But I think post-pandemic, there's been a sea change in the family's approach towards holidays and uh, they are more open to such ideas, I feel. No, I, I get your point and I get why this is such a lovely capital efficient business. But there's two things to me that, that really stand out. So first is that 25 years is an extraordinarily long time frame. And you're asking Indian consumers that are anyways low trust consumers to invest a lot of money and put a lot of trust in this company, uh, which is a hard sell. That's one. And the second thing is, if I think of it from a family's perspective, you don't want to be taking the same level of holidays for 25 years. In a 10, 15 year time frame, you want to move up. If I'm, if I'm sitting at 30, which is, you know, young fathers, that's who their target market is. If I'm sitting at 30, thinking, okay, I'm taking a holiday and I'm going on a Mahindra property, my hope and my desire will be that by the time I'm 40, I can go on a Taj holiday. And then by the time I'm 50, I can go on an abroad holiday, at the very least. So I would not think that people would want to buy a 25-year-long membership at a single, at a single level. You're right. You could pose that question to the management as well, that what happens uh, when you face such resistance from customers. So what they're doing is that they're offering smaller periods as well, 10 years, 12 years as well. Point number one. Second point is they're investing very heavily in their properties and upgrading them on a continuous basis because they have got fabulous locations. And it's just a matter of investing in the interior, the renovation to make it to a level of a Taj. And which is happening at a very, uh, I would say, fast pace compared to what three years ago, what their properties were and what they are just now. There's a huge change in the uh, in the kind of you know ambience and the actual uh, beauty of the property has improved significantly. There's also the option of gifting these vacation ownership weeks to other family members. You can sell it, rent it. Mm-hmm. There are many such choices also available. And more importantly, many new properties are also continuously coming in. Mm -hmm. Also, one more point is that you do not take one full week together. You can break it up as well. So now, apart from going on long holidays, there is this absolute demand for shorter two, three day long weekend, take a holiday. That market also is what the holidays plays up to. No, fair enough. I mean, I guess the proof of the pudding will always be in the eating. And if they can't go their members, then... I don't think this is going to work out for them. But uh, do you do you have a positive view on the company? Do you believe that they'll be able to deliver the returns? Yes, absolutely. And they just don't rely only on the members. So when the property is not being completely occupied by the members, it's available to the non-members also to pay a rental and use the property. So it's like a hotel company as well as a vacation ownership company. And even when the member does come over there, he's spending on food, beverages, and the experiences. So I have a specific question here. Is the so there's let's call it the the subscription fees and the non-subscription, which is the FMB plus the the you know the non-member rentals. Um, do you have any sense of what the the breakup might be if you know the FMB and non-member rentals is a substantial component of the top line or is that you know insignificant, 10, 15 percent or less? No, no, it's a substantial portion, and that's what brings the alpha for the company. So okay. the quarters in which non-members use it they get rental income or the or the properties are used by the members 
uh, and the capacity utilization is on the higher side, then automatically FMB revenues also go up. So the quarters where this phenomena takes place, this trend is visible. That's when it does best. It cannot just rely only on sale of vacation ownership. Well, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So let's move on to uh, another company, Lemon Tree. Um, I, this is a company, I'll be honest, I've never heard of before. Mahindra, I knew. Indian Hotels, Taj, I knew. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about Lemon Tree? I should also point out, it's it's much smaller than the other two as well in terms of its footprint. So is, are they like geographically located? What's the story with Lemon Tree? So when you start traveling the country on business travel, uh, you can't be too far away from Lemon Tree because that's their positioning. Uh, these are business hotels. More often than not, they may be close to the airport or close to the business district. And this is one company which has gone against the tide and invested very heavily on buying new properties or setting up new properties uh, over the last four or five years or so. And the performance has been pretty dismal uh, you know, right up to the pandemic uh, where the utilization levels were not high and where overall travel was slow. But they've got the properties on the ground now. And I think that in terms of uh, the growth in revenues and bottom line, this company can certainly surprise us on the upside. And there's a huge market for such business hotels and low-cost hotels uh, because urbanization is leading to many, many smaller cities. And there's a lot of economic activity taking place in the smaller cities. Mm -hmm. And that's the focus area for Lemon Tree apart from the large metros. Uh, so they go to a smaller town and they set up a nice uh, property over there, which is among the premium properties for that particular town. Any case, business travel, tourist travel improves to that city and they're there to capture that traffic. So I have a I have a question here. So far, you know, Mahindra and Taj we've spoken of, um, they're catered really towards the luxury traveler, the family traveler, the, the entertainment mm -hmm. traveler. This is the first business-specific travel hotel that we're discussing. And one post-pandemic feature um, that that seems to that seems to have stuck around is that business travel is no longer a requirement to do business. You can do things over Zoom, and the culture of digital working seems to have got entrenched. And adjacent to that, what we keep talking about in the terms of rising consumer expenditure, particularly for travel, is all entertainment and family travel. So will Lemon Tree really be poised to capture this huge upcycle in the hotel uh, in, in the hotel industry? Absolutely, you know, Varun, because while Zoom meetings, online meetings are important, but nothing you know, substitutes touch and feel. And uh, business travel is not as bad as you think it is. It is also growing decently over the post-pandemic last few quarters. We have clearly seen that. Uh, and overall economy is doing well. See, hotel industries, prospects are very closely linked to the economy and if the economy is doing well there's industrial activity there's infrastructure projects and large companies like banks telecom if they're expanding more and more into tier two tier three then that's certainly going to benefit the hotel industry especially someone like a lemon tree fair enough i think uh, only time will tell so let's let's do a quick whistle stop tour you know through the last two east india hotels and chalet hotels um, I think the only common factor here is that they both seem to have beaten the market over a reasonable time frame. And they're the only two hotel companies that we're analyzing that have actually delivered good returns to their investors. Although, you know, Chalet has only been around for a short period of time. 
See, Indian Hotel is Oberoi, again another fabulous brand, now owned by the Reliance Group per se. They've been a little slow in expansion. That's the reason why I feel that going forward also, their, maybe, uh, their performance may be lagging that of the industry per se. But they have got fabulous properties on the ground. And this is one company which can get very good benefit of operating leverage, what we discussed at that point of time. But by and large, uh, you know, they are uh, gradually losing market share and gradually losing mind share also within the hotel industry. Chalet Hotel, new player on the block, fabulous properties by the Raheja Group, it's been promoted. And again, a very underutilized uh, company. So as and when capacity utilization goes up for Chalet Hotels, you may see good numbers coming through over there. So that's my take on these two. But if I may just extend it, uh, one more trend, which is very important from a capital market perspective, is that before the pandemic, there was talk of OYO rooms. Mm -hmm going public, right? But because of the pandemic, OU rooms went through a lot of turmoil and uh, they were saddled with huge losses. But that is one company to watch within the industry. And whenever their IPO comes, it will be a very interesting development for the hotel industry and will offer a new investment uh, avenue for investors. All right. So why don't we summarize this podcast up? We know you're very bullish on hotels. Um, how should investors position it in their portfolio? They should be overweight in hotels. Go for the market leaders, especially Indian hotels. It's not a recommendation, just my opinion. And uh, because of the large size, the business model to an extent gets de-risked because they have so many properties. So even if there are minor fluctuations in particular geographies, they may still do pretty well going ahead. Oh, fair enough. Um, and within the space, what would your topics be? I think Indian hotels is certainly one of the uh, important companies. Mahindra Holiday is also like their business model. Because uh, family travel is something which is going to gain a lot more traction going ahead, and that's where they have placed themselves. All right. Well, I think that's a, that's a really nice and succinct way to explain how investors should play this theme. Thank you so much for joining us once again. And uh, please do tune in next time as well. Hopefully, we'll have more interesting stuff picks for you all. This podcast is produced by Elixir Equities Private Limited, a study registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.